they are staying way too humble. They're writing resumes that show that they're willing to do jobs that are beneath the job that they're applying for and then wonder why they get offered jobs that look exactly like the job that they already have. Because you're talking about, you're writing this resume basically begging for a shot to do work instead of telling people how you're going to make their lives better by giving you what you want. You made it about you proving to them that you deserve to be there instead of you showing them why they need you to get the things done that they want done. You haven't made yourself your, their solution. You've made yourself their liability. Let's get into the podcast, man. Hello and welcome to the Hustle Over Everything podcast. This is a podcast where we receive stories, tips, and strategies from entrepreneurs who've done it to help you grow your business and take yourself to the next level as a person. Later on the podcast today, we have Naya the Creative. She's a brand therapist that helps change people's careers and rebrand their businesses. You can find her at Naya the Creative on Instagram. It's going to be a good one. We talk about a lot. I'm Alex and... And I'm Owen. And man, let's jump into it, bro. Before we get into it, so Owen, what's good with you? A lot happened this week. A lot happened. A lot of stuff happened within uh, the community. Uh, you know, a special guy who's been giving a lot of information to, you know, black couples on how to black like women. love black women, you know, educating them on how to find the right guy and what to look for in a black man. And it turns out the guy is a fraud, right? You know, and we're talking about Derek Jackson. If you've never re- know who Derek Jackson is, he's a YouTube personality. He has a large following, gives relationship advice and he does a lot of reaction videos to things that are go on within, you know, maybe it's Kevin Samuels, you know, when he did that, like your average at best video. So this guy has been known for that. And he just came out that um, four days ago with his girl and he admitted to cheating, you know, infidelity, sleeping with women in his own in his own bed in his house with his, you know, like where his wife sleeps as well. And it was more of like a forthcoming video of just like, hey. And he's talking in third person. You know, Derek Jackson's done this, he's done that. And yo, you know what's funny, bro? Like, I, I'm very, I found this video hilarious. I don't know what it was. It's not what you're saying, but just the optics of it. And it was funny, but at the same time, I kind of felt very sad because I found it funny, like how he's like gripping like the girl's hand so hard. Did you see that? For sure. Yeah, you know? yeah the tiger, tiger claw like <laughs> a grip on her hand. It was insane. It was, it was insane, man. Like, so, mm-hmm. bro, I mean, before we get started, uh, what are your thoughts on it? Like, like, how, like when it first happened, what were your th- what, uh, thoughts, thought his, et cetera? I was thinking his business is finished. It's finished, thinking, eh? You know, we're a business podcast, so you got to keep looking at it from a business standpoint, you exactly. know? Um, he made he made his, his bread, you know, bashing black men, you know? And, of course, he, to, to seem somewhat, you know... Um, empathetic he'd have little times where he'd agree subtly would then go back and bash them after but um mm-hmm. you know a lot of us saw right through it i saw right through it i used to tell my girl anybody that was like in the vicinity like man this guy is because is, is your girl follows him right she follows him yes she does she does and we still defend him at times and i'm just like listen he's gonna bash black men by the end of this video and then yeah. see there it is every time you know, yeah, and sometimes it wouldn't be, it would be, you know, um, up front and other would be like, so, you know, like a little sub- subliminal. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, honestly, it's 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 a it's a way of manipulating people, you know, by telling mm-hmm. people that the way they feel is correct. Yeah, that's what he did for a living. Is is continuously tell people that they are correct, they are correct, they are correct, um, in order to get monetary, you know, gain from them. It's like give them what they books. want. And, and you know, sell them, sell them what they want, right? If I know you want water, I'll give you water because naturally, this is what you know. So, instead of me trying to give you like a different version of water, like if this is what you've known and this is what you're thinking, I'm just gonna confirm it, and I'm gonna give it to you like every single time. Like you never, you're always gonna be thirsty. So if you're gonna need that confirmation time and time again, just build a business around that. And he just saw like, yo, I'm, I'm never, I'm never losing because. This is what this particular community market wants to know and wants to be affirmed over and over that, you know, black men are trash. And that's what like is what's popular. So let me double down on that and build a, an empire on that. Exactly. Exactly. And that makes that is the thinking is that is he making this apology because he really wants to apologize to the people or is he trying to save his business? Mm-hmm. You know? Because this happened a while ago, but she's coming out now, right? Mm. Like the mistress that was talking. So as though the public perception was about to shift. You know, even he mentions it that this happened back in August. Yeah. Right? So if he meant to really apologize to the people, um, then he would have done it when it happened. Or else he would have not been a fraud, you know? Yeah. Because if it was if it was just you know uh, the time to apologize, but seeing that she's coming out now and he needs to protect his public image, he needs to protect his business, he's coming out to apologize. So that's so that's what kind of uh, you know rubbed me the wrong way, and it's gonna be tough. Do you think his business can thrive through this? Man, I kind of feel like this is like the best thing that happened to him in a way. Right? Really? Yeah, because I think. One thing this has brought him, it's brought him more, uh, it's made him more popular. And I think with all this attention, I think it's a, uh, it's an opportunity to change. It's an opportunity to rebrand himself, right? If you look in history, man, a lot of companies have gone through crises and they've bounced back, right? And even the customers that they were feeding, like, like the product, they came back and they're like, oh my God, like I'm still rocking with you and everything. So I kind of think it's a it's a blessing in disguise, right? It's an opportunity for him to transform himself because this is America, bro. America loves like a, a, a good comeback story. Think about it, like in sports, in whatever, a lot of people have done horrible things, but America is great at building you back up, bringing you down and then pulling you back up again. So I think for him with his following, hey, you don't agree? Bro, think about I it. I don't agree at all. Like you don't so you think this is finished so no i don't i'm not sure if it's finished but in the i'm not agreeing with the story of this is the the average american story you know like this is not a football player who made a mistake and is now rebranding himself this is someone who made their career saying one thing and has now done another thing you get what i'm saying it's a big difference between that it's not like you know um ocho cinco you know, messing up and, and, you know, now having to repent for that. Or Nick Cannon, for instance, saying something stupid and getting canceled, you know, from while and now, which he just got back. But uh, 
he was saying something specific for years, you know, and now is suffering the consequences of that coming back on him, you know. It's, so it's a big difference like, there. It's like this, bro. Like LeBron, I love LeBron James, right? The guy is the quintessential stand-up guy in sports. Clean, clean record. But LeBron, when the whole thing with the Hong Kong happened with China, he, the um, Daryl Morey, the GM of like the Rockets at the time, made a tweet that he's like, I stand with the people of Hong Kong, right? And this messed up like the NBA's money. So when it's messing up NBA's money, China is one of the biggest like consumers of NBA basketball outside of the U.S., so like they bring in billions of advertising of TV money into the NBA. And this is how guys like LeBron can get max, super max money. So LeBron actually came up with a tweet one time saying, you know, injustice for injustice anywhere is injustice for all. It was like a quote that says pretty much if people are facing injustice somewhere, injustice is injustice regardless of whatever race creed you're from. And LeBron, LeBron's been like an advocate for, you know, black advancement and everything in life, right? So he was pretty much tweeting it about this, about the black community. So when um, Daryl Morey said this, he's like at Lakers practice and they're, and they're doing a little media scrum. And then they're asking him, what do you think about the Daryl Morey tweet? And then LeBron goes like, oh, you know, I think Daryl Morey wasn't thinking what he was doing. And when he sent that tweet, I don't I think he just uh he messed up a lot of things for us financially and then he caught himself and then he's just like financially emotionally spiritually you know he just started adding like a bunch of like words in there just to buff to like to block out the fact that yo you messed up our bread by tweeting like you stand with Hong Kong and these people facing injustice so he faced a, a huge backlash because you're like yo LeBron you're the guy who is standing for injustice and everything and you promote that so you're only doing it when it's convenient for you and convenient for your community but like whenever it's anybody else you're kind of seeing oh yo that community is messing up i know they're suffering but they're messing up my bread so lebron did lose like credibility and on black issues like he cannot really speak about it anymore because he's not really as like that people people saw him as like the next like muhammad ali type of guy but after that, like, he kind of just lost it. But people still rate him still for speaking about that because we need him because no one else would step up to the plate. So even though people know this is what he's about, they've given him a chance to come back and still talk on those things because that's what he does, right? Mm -hmm. Even though you can see right through it. So that's what I mean. Like, you can come back down, but people will still bring you back up because you're needed within that space. Mm, got you, got you. But at the same time, like, I don't think LeBron, he did get back up. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that, like, it wasn't on New York Post, like, or on BBC News, like, like what's, what's going on with, you know, Derek Jackson now. And I think, I think this isn't, like, this isn't the end all be all of his business. Cause I think he'll try and pivot to being a reformed man and, and mm -hmm. have, you know, a reformed man conversation that goes through, but it's, it's not looking good right now, you know? The thing is, is that people that have bought from him before and now know that he's a fraud. He was outside of the girl's house that he was visiting as he was making some of these videos in his car, mm -hmm. you know? So it, it's not looking good for him as a person. 
as someone as this trust you know business a lot of business is based off no liking and trusting you yeah know? and he's lost the trust of a lot of people and that's why everyone's talking about it you know because it feels like he's deceived a lot of people you know i don't know if if, if lebron was trying to deceive people with it he was you know going for something he really believed in and then um when he was struck down from you know financially then he then he succumbed to that you know he still believes it we know he still believes it but he knows that he's now going to face consequences monetarily if he does speak up, speak out against it so mm-hmm. that's the difference really it's a big there's a bit of a difference there it is but, man it, so. it's a little bit of a difference because it kind of shows you people like it, it maybe it's just human nature you you can push someone to believe something until it really impacts them on an individual level right for lebron it's like man i need this this is my platform i need it so i'm like screw you guys like as much as i want to help you guys i need to like you know it's more it's maslow's hierarchy of needs bro if lebron's advocating platform is you know in the self-actualization stage because he's done everything bro he's become he's he's survived he's made a living he's gotten his needs met now he wants to level up to that level he's bigger than the nba player which is self-actualization once you see your needs at the very basic level being you know chipped away at it's like you're like screw this self-actualization thing i gotta get back and protect my own right so it's like human nature in all of us bro you know so even though we know he believes that it's just the optics of it that's kind of sucks because he's like the only one left standing if we had like a bunch of other nba players like taking that stand we're like oh yeah let's sub lebron out and bring on you know kyrie or whatever you know but lebron is lebron is the cash cow right he is the guy so they're not they're not gonna trash lebron because he is the product espn lebron's a topic of conversation at any time because he draws views he brings he brings the ratings like they're not gonna bring like Kyle Lowry to talk about it because he's he's not, you know. As much as we love Kyle Lowry, he's not LeBron James. So, as much as people recognize, that, even Skip and whatever, they kind of like hush hushed it after a bit because they didn't want to just seem like they're biased. They kind of swept it on the rug. They spoke about it, but they didn't drag it on. And be like, who needs to be the new face of like black issues or whatever? They're like, no, LeBron did this. Let's keep it moving. He's the guy because we need him as the guy because no one else has the same pull as lebron that's a fact that's a fact bro so what other businesses do you think have bounced back from making a promise and going back on that promise have bounced back from making a promise and um i mean samsung i I was just gonna say that right samsung was one of them well i don't know if the the exploding phones or something they actually promised (laughs) You know what I'm saying, but but it was just like a malfunction that happened. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like it wasn't like Derek Jackson when he was saying that he's he's making the promise that he's the better man. You know, he he wasn't. Yeah, they weren't doing that. I don't know. It's hard to I can't think, think about, of man. Like, and, and it, it's like a business. We know businesses on, on a lower scale level, like which there's a dime a dozen. But like we're thinking about like a big Fortune oh, 500 type of thing. I know one. The it's honest cool. company. Honest company, what I have no idea what happened. Jessica Alba, because she was saying that, oh, our products are all, you know, are all like, you know, chemical free, all this, this, that. 
but in actuality, there was a lot of times where people found specific products that didn't, you know, that did have the chemicals in it that she was claiming not to have, that they weren't as safe as she was saying, so mm. or or not biodegradable. So the honest company, from what I understand, that they went through that, but mm-hmm. they bounced back from it. Because the thing is that there's going to be people that are pot committed. There's people who have bought and invested in in Derek Jackson's books and his content and his YouTube series and all that that are pot committed that, oh, he made a mistake, but um, what he's saying is still true. So Mm -hmm. they're still going to be pot committed. And the thing is, is that, you know, I heard some other um, podcasts is that, you know, they're not going to want to, you know, realize that they were tricked and they fell for it, you know. They don't want to admit that to themselves, so they're still going to rock with him. So they don't have to face the fact that they yeah. fell for another person's trap. Because Loki, he's point. a scam artist, Loki. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, man. I was going to also say, um, I know she didn't come back, but we fell for a lot of, like, people's, you know, tricks. Remember, like, that, that uh, Holmes chick, the next Steve Jobs? Nicole. No, who's that? It was like this woman, she made like these like uh is it Natalie Holmes? But it was like this chick, she was like neat, she was like titled as like the next up and coming Steve Jobs and she came up with like this product that um was gonna like it's like an AI product, it's like whatever, it's gonna solve let me like look it up. But female Steve Jobs. Uh, oh, let's get Jamie to look it up. Yo, Jamie, you mind looking that up for us, please? Yeah, yeah. Yo, we need a Jamie bro. Holmes, Steve Jobs. Elizabeth Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes, bro. This Disgraced Theranos? Theranos. <laughs> what is that? You know? So pretty much that? like she came was this, about, was, was this the, the thing that was like going to like test blood really quickly? Yes. Something like that? Yeah. Ah. And she that, got what is like that? millions of dollars like with uh, funding. Yeah, she got bare investors. Yeah, and then they realized like this kawal them heavy, and then they came back and like, right, like you are actually hoodwinking all of us, man. So pretty much, she's That's she's she's facing she's uh facing legal battles, man. Man, she was like mm-hmm. on Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Fortune, whatever publication that you know is all about entrepreneurship. She was there. You know what's crazy is that now that she's scammed all these people. She can probably sell these rights to, uh, to become a movie and bounce right the fuck back. You know, it's even like the same thing with that fire guy, like Billy McFarland, right? With the fire festival. I think that guy, once he gets out of jail, he can, a lot of doors will be open for him, you know, because everyone really? wants him to come. Bro, everybody loves a comeback story. Like, oh, yo, like this guy faced millions of years in prison and I know he had success before. Let's give him another shot. Right, there's even one guy after the thing. He was just like, "Man, you know what?" In the in the doc, he's like, "I won't be surprised like we hear about Billy McFarlane like sometime later on in, in life because, you know, America loves a good comeback story." I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Man, America does love a comeback story. You know, look at Jake Paul. You know? Yep. And Logan Paul, really. Logan Paul is, was a real comeback story. That impossible was one of the top podcasts in the world. You know what I'm saying? But yo, let's get to the business tip of the week, man. Let's get it. Oh yeah, for sure. 
So what I want to talk about this week has been buzzing between the two of us and just, you know, all the social media marketers, you know, people trying to grow the business online, all that small to medium-sized companies, and that is Clubhouse. I've been able to, you know, generate sales through Clubhouse, so I want to talk about um, some of the things I've done to uh, generate sales and some of the lessons um, I've learned. If you want, we can talk about the lessons we've learned as well because we definitely took some L's on Clubhouse (laughs) as well, you know. um, Major L's, man. (laughs) Major L's. So... Um, Clubhouse, if, if you don't know, which you probably do, but for the one person in the room who doesn't know, Clubhouse is a new app that is predominantly, not predominantly, 90, 99% audio, right? So um, it's almost like, what's a good, what's a good re- reference to, to compare it to? It's almost like walkie-talkies low-key. <laughs> it's like, t- like the app walkie-talkie where you can talk to a bunch of people. But um it, essentially, you know, you can go on and have audio rooms where you can talk to people, and there's a stage where you can go up and and, and talk with a, a few moderators and talk to an audience of a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. in Clubhouse has been a great experience for me personally because what I've been able to do is, you know, connect with people that are looking for, um, you know, marketing um, specialists when it comes to Facebook ads, when it comes to e-commerce, when it comes to you know, building a, a business online. There's a lot of people on there. So it's been, it's been great to connect, you know, and um, give people off. So I'm going to give some tips that I've learned from being on Clubhouse. Number one is finding your niche. You know, it's very easy to, to, easy to niche down on Clubhouse. But one thing I want to say is, you know, find people that are looking for your services and not people that are just like you. Because for me, you know, being in digital marketing, as we speak, there's somebody cooking up a new digital marketing website to say, hey, I'm a digital marketer as well. Every five minutes, without a doubt. So, you know, finding people who are actually looking for digital marketers, who, who are looking for Facebook advertisers, who's, who's looking for whatever service you provide, is a big gem to, you know, start on Clubhouse. As well, you know, working your elevator pitch this is something that you know I've taken upon myself is to really craft my elevator pitch to sound good depending on the room that I'm in. You know, because I have a podcast, because I'm, um, you know, in my own lane with my company, I have different pitches for different rooms that I'm in. Um, and also, be ready to give real value, not just give a top tip that is you know generally known, but actually go deep and provide real value that someone can actually execute. Um, that's been a real testament to um, my growth on Clubhouse. You know, um, people are, are flooding my DMs um, after um, a, a conversation and, you know, are inquiring about my services just from the speaking um, platform. So that's another. Also, one thing that I've noticed that has been a big gem for me is listening to consistent questions. What I mean by that is when someone asks a question once and then you keep hearing that over and over and over again, that's data that you can really use to execute on different things. You can start making um, ebooks, cheat sheets, um, and real information that people can leverage. Because if um, you know one person's thinking that and they're getting that consistent, you know, feedback, that means there's an audience outside of the platform that are asking that exact same question. So it's, you can this can turn into a blog post a YouTube video, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a good way of creating content um, and finding what to create content about. 
Um, like right now, I'm working on a, on a ebook for Clubhouse. Not ebook, but uh, you know, like a cheat sheet to give people that ask me the exact same questions. What about the iOS update? What about the this? What about the that? You know. So, lastly, one thing I want to say that's super important is have a strong CTA, call to action for people. Um, you know, are you generating people to? Are you moving people to your Facebook group? Are you moving people to? DM you, are you moving people to your newsletter? You know, have a strong call to action so people can take action to get in touch with you or to get into your funnel. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time being on Clubhouse, so it's important that you think about how you're leveraging your time on there to make the most for your business um, and impact, um, you know, yourself. Also, I would say, you know, this is the time to craft yourself as a thought leader. Um, so leverage this platform to become a thought leader in your niche and generate more business. So that's that on Clubhouse. Anything you want to add, bro? Uh, well, man, everything you said is correct, bro, because, you know, just to share with the audience what happened is, you know, we've started doing a lot of Clubhouses after every episode and we had yep. a great guest who was part of the Rap of the League catalog we just launched in February. And, you know, we, we promoted this room. I mean, you promoted because I was working during the day. So you got the link and I start promoting after work. And something happened and the link changed. So when people try to go in the room, like they're like, it's a broken link to a room that's non-existent. So we had to start a yeah. fresh one. So Jabril yeah. comes into the fresh room. And Jabril has about like 3,000 followers, I believe, or something like that. Somewhere in the thousands. And we do these post-podcast clubhouse chats just to, you know, share these stories of the entrepreneurs in like a room where they can, there's discovery. Discovery is, is organic. And man, we had like less than 10 people in that room. Even like, just let me keep it real, man, less than seven. And we knew those people and those people were like seeing how low the room and they stayed it through because they're like, yo, it, it kind of like felt like peer pressure a little bit. Like, and I just kind of, I could feel it because they're like, we're staying it because this is a big guest. These guys are trying to do something. So we can't just let them out. Like <laughs> We can't let them die down like this. And, you know, we kind of messaged uh, this guest. Can we say the name, Jabril? Yeah, we already said it, bro. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. We messaged him. I messaged him. I was like, hey, bro, like, sorry about that, man. Like, the link broke. And, you know, he just liked the message on IG. I was just like, man, that was, that was kind of whack. You know, it, it, was just, it was just a bad room, man. I was very embarrassed. Yeah, so... Um, it was it was it sucked. It sucked. It was embarrassing. It, 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 it sucked because one people were looking for it and they couldn't find it. So this is the key takeaways: is test the link out, schedule the link in advance, and test the link out to make sure it works. Um, and DM people the actual link so they're not looking for it in your bio, so they come straight to it. Um, you can leverage other rooms as well. That's one thing that I want to mention. Join rooms that are already popping so you don't even have to create a room from scratch. Um, right now, I'm in like Shopify Beast. I'm in you know the Hustlers Club, and that has around 200,000 people in it already. So when the room starts, it's like people are jumping in it already. You know, um, So that's one thing that's been huge. Also, you know, paying attention to the headline of the room has really helped. Because um, I realize people come in expecting a specific thing. Like, we'll have the name... Facebook ads, and someone will come up like, oh, I don't need to do Facebook ads, but I do Instagram ads. And I'm like, this is what we're talking about. What are we talking about? Like, 
the, like they don't realize that Facebook has Facebook is of course owned or Instagram owns Facebook. Mm-hmm. So us saying Facebook has is saying Instagram and Facebook, of course. But this because it's only Facebook in the headline. They're thinking they're not thinking about Instagram at all, and that's not not including a lot of people that would want to be on Instagram advertising, right? Mm-hmm. So having like you know a, a specific name convention, you know, in your labeling or headline is actually important. Um, and the way we labeled it wasn't really specific enough either, you know, for people to look at it and come in immediately. It was just like I think it was making money online while traveling. But like, mm-hmm. I think we could have named it better. For yeah, that, people that, that headline were just browsing is around. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't the it's best. so sensationalized. Sensationalized like a lot. Like make money. It, yeah. it becomes a, it t- it takes on like a scammy title because it, it kind yeah, of feels so like far-fetched. get rich quick. It's like in the it's like a cousin of that. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, I I I'm I'm happy that you know we got that L. We both were on WhatsApp after like, bro, that was so trash. You know, but it taught us a, le- a good lesson on building up um, from scratch. And you know what happened as well is that we got uh, we got bait and switched because we thought that that's, Clubhouse was normally a packed type of atmosphere because we had Mario Armstrong on the one before. And, and he brought his audience all the way And he the... brought his audience. Yeah. So we naturally thought that it was just um, the natural effect of Clubhouse, but no, that was his audience that came in and he brought a huge audience in. You know, so it was just a lesson learned right there. And I hope someone learned something from that. If one person gets knowledge from everything we're talking about, I appreciate you. You know, um, if everyone else wants to skip on to the rest of the podcast, feel free. But yeah, that's kind of that. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up and get to the Hustle Nation? Nah, man, just join Clubhouse. It's a big um, platform that's emerging. You can get a lot of organic reach. You can build a lot of great connections. It's just you have to put in time into it to really see the fruit of it like you have to legit put in time it you gotta have that on it's like an ongoing podcast and you can just chime in anytime so hey if you want to really build something clubhouse is the way to go i was not a believer in the early days but i'm a true believer now and um yeah we're building on that too you know join the hustle hustle assembly on clubhouse that is our own room for the podcast that we're building so we're always going to have guests post post podcast uh conversations on that uh, it's kind of like the post-game interview type of thing, if you want to imagine that. That's what we use Clubhouse for. So, and you know, just to share that with the audience there. But guys, you know, you know what time it is. It is that time. It's Mr. Hustle Muscle on the mic, ready to give you that Hustle Nation tip of the week to get your week right. You know, we're going to talk about eliminating distractions and just in general, trimming down the fat. When we think about goals and achieving things, we always think about what we can add. You know, when you want to lose weight, for example, you're thinking, what can I adopt in my diet? What new workout can I pick up? What new gadget should I, you know, get to supplement on this journey? What new protein shakes, creatine, whatever you want to do. We're always in this additive state of mind. And in your business, you're always thinking, you know, what new feature can you add? What new product, what new initiative, campaign, whatever you want to name it, you always think that adding things over and over is really going to help you get you closer to where you want to be. These are great things to do, but it's time to start reverse engineering and begin to think about what you can subtract. Going back to the personal side of things, if it's losing weight, ask yourself, 
what in my house do I have right now that I can eliminate that will get me closer to my goal? And when you go through this, you go through your cabinets, you go through your fridge, you go through everything, you start realizing you can eliminate those granola bars, those unhealthy snacks, that excess sugar, uh, treats, chips, sweets, um, alcohol, right? If um, if you really want to go down that path, like eliminating the wines, that's, that's a lot of sugar in that. Fatty foods, you open your freezer, you take that out, you realize you have all these processed foods that you're eating just because, you know, you don't have time to make dinner or lunch. But by, you know, when you do this, when you eliminate things instead of adding things, you know, you're actually setting up yourself to succeed because you're actually trimming down the fat that you already have already instead of adding on onto the things which are part of your already bad habits. Think about what you can eliminate. So going back to the business example now, you know, when you look at your business, you can look at what can we do to really help us towards our goals instead of like adding new things. You can look at unnecessary expenses, you know, pausing certain initiatives, you know, alleviating certain tasks on your schedule and bringing someone in to do it. Um, that, you know, these could be like, it's extra fat to your schedule. Perhaps someone else can do it, which can allow you to do other things, which we're building towards like building a team around us, you know, and then going through your product and shaving off the things that don't matter and assessing what the fat is. You know, these steps get you closer to your goal because you're cleaning the house. You know, in, uh, in the Japanese culture, they call this feng shui, uh, where you're rearranging your, your furniture to bring in new energy. And in the business, it's the same thing. What feng shui can you do in your business where you can rearrange things, eliminate the things, and you can walk in and it's like a zen atmosphere. It's, it's, it's things that are functional and they're needed. So this is applicable in your project, uh, whatever it is you're working on. You know, clean up your product and get to the meat of it and build that up. You know, when you have excess fat in your business, you know, you get slow. You don't move at the pace you should be at to hit your stride. And uh, you're gonna be in a in a malaise state of uh, state of affairs. So next thing, next time you think about adding to your business or your personal life, whatever it is, don't think about adding things. Think about eliminating things because there's a reason you have that frustration, and it's because there's a, there's things that could be eliminated instead of think about what to add. And um, yeah, guys, that is the hustle nation tip of the week. Think about what elimination instead of adding things. And uh, it gets you a step closer to where you want to be by having that state of mind. And that is the Hustle Nation tip of the week. Let's get it this Monday. Brand new week to get it. And, uh, you know, success is upon us, guys. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's hop into the housekeeping items and into the podcast. Boom, Peace. boom. Hey, what's up, guys? To support this show for free, here are some main options. In front of Apple, make sure you rate and write a review of our podcast. This makes a huge difference and helps support the show. If you're on Spotify, follow us. If you're on Google Play, hit subscribe and auto-download so you'll be notified and have a fresh pod ready to go when we drop. And lastly, make sure you share the podcast on Instagram or whichever social platform you use and tag us. On Twitter, we're at 247Hustlers. On Instagram, we're at 247Hustler. And on Facebook, we're Hustle Over Everything. And now, guys, you gotta pay attention to this point. We just dropped a new newsletter. 
It's called The Underrated. It's a weekly newsletter that breaks down untold stories that highlight game-changing business strategies that shape our sports, music, and culture. It drops once a week on Mondays, early in the morning, to prep you for the week. So subscribe to that, and we'll see you in the pod. And welcome to the show, if I haven't said that already. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to start off with a icebreaker for everybody. What was one embarrassing time you had during a meeting? Uh, Naya, I'll let you go first. Crap. Can this count? <laughs> um, Why? What's so, how is this embarrassing? I don't know. I don't have an answer. Okay. Um, okay. Come back to me. Come back to me. The only all thing right, I right. think was when I Oh, do you have one off top or should I go first? An embarrassing th- thing that happened in a meeting? Yeah. Yeah, man. So, so you know, I've been in sales like my entire life and uh, I was working at Good Life Fitness in sales. And, you know, every single morning we have a sales meeting, right? It's called a scrum. So essentially the sales manager gets up on the board, gives everybody like, okay, Owen, like how many leads are you going to get today? Who do you have coming in? What's your closing? Are you going to sell them this? Bang, 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 bang. So at the time, I was wearing like these Adidas sweatpants, right? So if you know the Adidas sweatpants, they're like the ones that are um, the nylon ones, which they have like a little slight zipper close to the ankle. And they kind of look like joggers, but like they're very like they're runner's pants, right? And I wore these pants for everything. So I'd wear them when I work out. I wear them when I'm like actually in the job. So as I wore them time and time again, they began chafing, right? Uh, between the thighs right because i'm like doing leg days so like you know my my quads and my hands are like getting big and everything so they start like a thin it starts thinning so we're in this meeting and it's like me salam my good friend salam and Mats, who's also like a great friend of mine who was my manager and i had like a hole in the pants but i didn't think it was that serious right so like it's in, it's in the room three of us we're talking it's very serious and i made a slight movement and like the seam of my pants, like, like, um, <laughs> wow. like the crotch level of it just bursted wide open, right? And it was, it was, it was so embarrassing. But the thing is, I was embarrassed, but they thought it was funny. But then later on, like, I, I began to think it was funny. By the time, like, I'm still getting to know these guys, I'm getting to know them and everything, even though we're cool, but I was still like very, like, embarrassed. But, I kind of laughed it off after just because it was two of them. I was just thinking, man, if this was like someone else, if this was Carlton, who was like the, the regional manager was in the in the room, or if it was like another woman who's also like the VP of sales of Good Life, if she was in the room, this would have been so bad. But that's one of the biggest embarrassments I've had in a meeting just because it just exposed me. You know what I'm saying? And <laughs> Literally. <laughs> it was so funny looking back, but I mean, hey, that's what you get for doing uh, leg day pretty much every day and wearing the same pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah I so. hear you, man. That's hilarious. All right. Hmm, let's see what I got. All right, so I was in this sales meeting too, actually. It's funny you say that. And I was going through like, my past clients and just talking about some of the business I was doing. And the guy's like, yeah, let's show, me, let's show me one of your clients. And I was like, all right, sure. And the first one that comes to mind is um, this client that I was with, but um, we had put a pause on working together for a while. But recently he had just sent me a new client, like a new referral. 
So I was like, okay, cool. And he was top of mind. So like, hey, me pull him up because his website was very clean. The ads mm-hmm. that we did together were great. And I'm like, all right, you pull him up. I pull him up and his biz- business, his website, not in- available at all. It's, he took everything down. He closed. And that was probably my top embarrassing moment of like, there was nothing to show for it. So it's just like, what, what are you talking about? What business is here? Because he just lost he all credibility. So that what, what happened is the guy, he closed down shop and, and pivoted his whole life. You know, he, he went into um, becoming an artist and a musician. And it was actually in a, like a huge like, reggae um, song the other day. And I looked at him and said, oh, is that a thing? And that was him. But yeah, that was probably my, one of my most embarrassing me- moments to happen in a meeting. was pulling up his whole website and nothing being there. So it looked like I was just like talking out of my ass. Oh, you know? man. That was crazy. You were looking at you sideways, like, are you looking sure? Like, like, you actually know you this sure? guy? You like, sure you're doing work? Like, <laughs> you sure? Like, yeah, that was crazy. Yikes. So, oh, Naya, what you got? What was the best time you had in the meeting? Okay, I was thinking of one, but it wasn't, it started to be embarrassing, but I bounced back. So, I'm not going to share that one. This other thing actually right. didn't happen to me so much, but I guess culturally I felt embarrassed. So, we had this meeting and it was a pretty new thing that my company was trying to do. They were trying to give some of the like, I guess more junior and new employees like bigger projects than they would have gotten, right? And they didn't even really appreciate it because they just got there. They thought this is how it is. So we had just brought on this new project manager. He's black. And for context, at this company, there might've been like six black people that I can think of at the time. I was the only black American because mm-hmm. I was working in London and this guy didn't show up to the meeting. It was like his second or third day or something crazy like that. So there was another girl that I was with who was white. And when we realized the guy wasn't there and somebody was waiting for him, we looked at each other and there was this like conversation, like who's gonna go get him? She didn't wanna go get him. I don't wanna go mm-hmm. get him. But I was like, I can't let him be out here like this by himself, bro. Like I can't let the other black guy be out here late missing the meeting, but like, I don't wanna go get, like I don't wanna be the person that's, why can't you go get him? But she had more to lose in that meeting for leaving to go summon somebody. So I, like, I got it. Had to go up and have the conversation with him like at his desk because he just completely lost track of time. And he was chilling at his desk talking to somebody. And I was like, dude, like, we have a whole meeting. You're the project manager and you're not there. And he was like, is that now? Hmm. So he's new. It's his first week. I don't want him to get played. Mm-hmm. So we get back down to the meeting. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to like cover for him. Like, you know, he was just getting through, but I had nothing to say about like what he was doing. Cause he was mm-hmm. really kicking it. And like, there was no reason mm-hmm. for him to miss this meeting. I felt all kinds of bad. I hated that I had to go get the black guy. I hated that I had to be the black girl going to get the black guy, but I had to do it. Cause yeah. Secondhand embarrassment. You know what I mean? But you got to protect your own, right? You got to protect your own. Like you got to look out for, for your own people. You do, but we had a very strange relationship later on working there. So I kind of sometimes regret going to go save his ass a little bit. But but Alex, you had something to say, like, about what I said. Do do I agree with that? You got to protect. Is that what you're saying? Do you feel like you have to protect your own in the workplace? Uh, Of course. Right. For example, me at work where I work at. In the sales team, it's like me and like there's um we actually have like a a secret Slack group for all the black employees like for one voice, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Amazing. We have we have our own black meetings. Like I I throw in all like the African. So it's like a bunch of Nigerian guys, Guyanese guys, like from the tech team, IT team. They're all in one place. So like I'll be sending them like some jams. You know they love it, right? I can I can be myself within that. So in the sales team, like I know it's like my guy Uzo, and I know like he's always looking out for me. I'm looking out for him. But we don't actually say I'm looking out for you. It's just. You feel it's like unspoken. you have it's it's unspoken, right? He's just like, yo, like I noticed you did this in the meeting. I know you did this, bro. Like next time, just try this instead, right? He's like giving me, like it, it might be harsh, it might be truth, it might be too honest, like where I feel, oh, like you're attacking me. But I need to hear that. But no one else is gonna give me that. So yeah. other cultures stick like that. You know, Jewish people stick like that. So I'm like, us black people, we gotta do that too. You know. Yeah. So that's why I think we gotta. We got to look out for our own, even if it's embarrassing. At least, like, you don't want to let your own people down. So let me tell you something. <laughs> it's funny we are on this, on this topic. So um, at a place where I was working, uh, there, was, there was two teams. And I knew a girl that was in an opposite team, right? And my team had a project that was related with hers. Right? Mm. Are we getting into corporate drama today? This is different. <laughs> corporate and politics, man. Let's get it. Corporate politics. And she started messing up to them, and but they didn't know we knew each other. Mm. So in the meetings, in our scrums or our you know meet, daily check-ins, they'd be bashing her, like like yo, I can't, how does she get a job here? Like like completely going <laughs> in and like she messed up her this girl's name, this girl did this wrong, this 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 that. So you know what I did? I recorded it. Jeez. on the low <laughs> on the low recorded it and I was like and then it came to me and I was like yo listen you're messing up on this this and that like um, I don't know how to tell I, I didn't know how to exactly say verbatim what they said but I was like alright listen they're talking to you badly you need to, you need to step it up in these in these one or two categories you know what I'm saying because yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree you definitely have to um, have each other's back especially if you know each other so yeah man but, but speaking of corporate you know that's, that's a perfect segue. It's a perfect into, segue. <laughs> into what you do. So for the people who don't know, could you give us a one to two minute background on what you do, Naya? All right. So as a brand therapist, I help people make deep connections with their audiences and I help them do it authentically. And I think we hear the word authentically a lot, but we don't always know what that means. Um, we think about bringing our whole selves to work. We think about being, you know, your, your true self, being your best self. But when it comes to branding and authenticity, it's really about being something like building a brand that you can actually follow up on. Right. So when you show up and you make promises to your audience, because really, when you're building a brand, that's what you're doing. You're promising them a certain level of expertise. You're promising them a certain kind of experience. When you're making those promises, you need to be able to naturally back those up and not just make claims or give people this presentation that matches an idea you can't meet. Right. So sometimes we do that. In fact, very often we do that professionally in our nine to five careers. We make these boilerplate resumes and we try to fill in these blanks and be something that we think we're supposed to be because somebody at some point told us it looked like that. But mm -hmm. when we show up to the interview, we're nothing like that. Right. You see those memes where it's like, here's the picture of me, what I look like on LinkedIn. But here's the picture of me like two weeks after I get the job. Right. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you can make those two things a little closer together. Right. 
So, you know, we do this in business. When we think about building brands for business, I think we've, as a society and as, you know, entrepreneurs, kind of got a better handle on what it means to be yourself and kind of bring yourself into your brand to an extent. But I think a lot of people still struggle with that in the nine to five space, but they forget you're just dealing with people. You're trying to get hired by somebody you're gonna work with, right? These are human beings making human decisions. Right. There's no difference between making those connections than there are, you know, making those connections when you have a business and you're trying to sell something to somebody. So as a brand therapist, my goal is always to help people be more of themselves so that they can make really deep connections with those audiences, really get them to understand who they are and show that audience, whether it's a potential employer or a potential client, how you are the only person who can serve them the way that they need to be served. Not the best, but the only. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was that first insight that you got that led you down this path? So I used to think branding was like crap, like malarkey, Mm -hmm. fluff. I thought branding was like an excuse to be fake, right? And I think all of the conversations I had about branding very early on, you know, even before I started my branding career, um, people were always talking about branding as like you could use it to dress something up, something that wasn't as good as it could look like it was. So it was it was fake. It was vain. And that led to people, you know, feeling like branding was just about how you looked. It was just your logo. It was just your website. It was all in the presentation of what's visual and didn't necessarily have to have substance to match. So when I was working at my last corporate job, I had, you know, clients who were working, making salaries with branding in their title or brand in their title. And then I had my clients Mm -hmm. that I had, you know, my hustle clients at night who didn't have anything like that in their titles, but they had some business that they were just getting started with and they had their Mm -hmm. idea of what branding meant. It turned out that those clients who could afford to pay a hundred thousand pounds, not dollars, pounds for a website that I was building for them had the same ideas of branding that people who could only afford to pay me a thousand dollars for a website had, right? So your education level, your experience in business, your experience with branding didn't make a difference. People thought branding was skin deep. People thought branding was what you looked like. That's literally like saying who you are is whatever the sales associate at the store picks out for you to wear. That's who you are because you're Mm -hmm. wearing it. And that's just not the case. So when I was working with some of these clients in the day and I was working with these clients at night, I kept having the same conversations. When they're asking me to design things for them, they, you know, I'm like, okay, so tell me more about who you are. Tell me about who you're trying to reach. What influences these decisions? They couldn't answer these questions. They're like, well, why can't you tell me who you are? Well, you know, yeah. we're just really just trying to make sure that like, you know, we, we have that modern look and that it's like a slick design. And I really feel like that's gonna help people be attracted to us. And you have said nothing about who you are or who you're trying to be or why any of that matters to the people who need you. You just want to look good. But what makes you different from anybody else? Well, we work hard. We're detail oriented. You know, we're really committed to getting the job done. And if all of your competitors don't say the same thing, I'd be surprised. What are you doing? What can you do that they are not doing, that they're not thinking to do? How are you serving in a way that they haven't considered they should serve, right? Let's talk about who that is. And when we get to the bottom of that, the colors will come, the fonts will come, the look will come. There will be some things that are just 
this is not a question. You you won't do. We won't use this look. We won't go in this direction because we know that that's not going to resonate or communicate what you're trying to say. But you aren't trying to communicate anything yet. You think that as your designer, I am going to make you into make your brand into a person. I'm going to give you a personality, and that's just not how this works. Mm -hmm. So having more of these clients with my like after hours um, clients, having more conversations with my after hours clients. I had a few of them say to me, who didn't know each other, who had never spoken to each other, say, talking to you is like talking to a therapist. Like, I'm always stressed when we have to have these conversations and like we have to think about this website and I don't know what we're going to do and I'm confused about the business. But every time I'm done talking to you, I feel empowered, ready to make decisions again. I'm excited to run this business. It's like, it's like having a therapist, but just like for building my brand. And I was like, oh, that's really sweet. And then another client said the same thing to me within like the space of a month or something. And I was like, okay, this is getting freaky. <laughs> and also, universe, I hear you. I received that. Let me meditate yeah. on this for a little while. And that's that's where my, my title came from in this whole line of work, really appreciating what branding was beyond the surface and helping other people to understand that same thing. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. All right, so Naya. When did you build this business out? Was this before you went to Thailand or after? Okay, so this was before I went to Thailand for the first time. I started my business in about 2016, officially. Um, I had just left my job in London, mm -hmm. the last job I worked for somebody else. And I wanted to travel. I did want to go to Thailand. I wanted to see Thailand. But I was only planning to go for a few weeks at the max. Um, so I spent just a couple of months after I left my job working out what I wanted my title to be, how I wanted to serve, what work I wanted to do, who I wanted to help. I made a lot of mistakes and silly decisions in that time. Um, but one of the best things I did for myself was start email marketing. Um, I started an email series, which I then turned into an ebook, And that was one of the best things I could have done in terms of starting to build an audience and really understand how engagement worked and how connecting worked. Um, and learning how to speak to a person in my audience. And not long after that, I went to Thailand for the first time just for a month, went to go eat because that's, that's why I get on planes, food and family. I get on planes for people's birthdays and to see people I love or to get food. That's it. And, um, and I went for a month and that was when I, I saw, okay, this is what it's like to kind of be a digital nomad. I'd have to do this longer. I'd have to stay a little more still because I was traveling throughout the country like every week or two weeks I was like moving somewhere else which was a little too much motion for me but it was the beginning of me seeing what a laptop lifestyle was because up until then all of my jobs really required me to show up somewhere punch in somewhere be seen and have meetings with people who were effectively in charge of me and after that I ended up moving back to New York for some time and I wasn't digital nomading at all um, and it was after that, after a few years in New York, that I actually went to Thailand again what, for what was supposed to be about six months and turned into 15 months during a pandemic. Damn. Get, getting a taste of that laptop life uh, must have been crazy. I can imagine how it's like once you get a feeling, a dose of that um, being autonomous, right? Controlling your own destiny, controlling your life and just creating on the go and not having to be stationed somewhere. That's what everybody dreams about. I mean, I dream about like working my nine to five. Like I always think about it every single day. And during the pandemic, I actually got a taste of that as well too. Like when 
I got furloughed and I was working on the podcast every yeah. single day. Even though I was stationary, I still got that same feeling of just working from the laptop and creating an impact. Um, so going back to Thailand, you know, working there, like talk about that journey of being there. Like, what did you learn? What did you experience? And how did things take off for you? Ooh, so I went to Thailand work-wise. I went to get some space. I wasn't taking on any new clients. I wasn't looking to expand a lot. I really just wanted to clean up some of my processes and work on some of my programs that already existed. I just wanted to refine what I was doing. So if it was a client that I had already been working with, I would take them on. Um, but if it was, you know, some new thing or some new, I wasn't doing any launches in those first few months in 2020, I wasn't intending to take anybody on. So I was really happy with what I was doing. I have, I just, you know, got rid of a bunch of stuff. I had these huge posters of all these notes I had written and how I was plotting out some of the courses I had already done and how I was revamping everything. And I was super excited about it. And then Rona came and said, this is what we going to do. All that that she was doing, all this no client thing, we not about to have that. We about to give you a lot of work, okay? So lockdown, you need that. Stay in the house. And stay in the house I did. Um, so I was working, you know, I just refined a bunch of my programs. And then, you know, the pandemic happened and people were scared. They were afraid they were going to lose their jobs or they did lose their jobs. And they wanted to know how they were going to make their money work, you know, how they were going to bring in income if they didn't have a job. People who were thinking about starting a business got very serious about starting a business. People who were running businesses that look like businesses but were not performing like businesses started getting really nervous because now they didn't have the opportunity to go outside of the house. Whatever was supposed to be working for them outside needed to now be working for them inside. And if it wasn't working, they very quickly noticed. So a lot of people wanted my help one way or another. And that just made me really, really busy, right? So one of the big lessons for me was that it's just so not something I was thinking of. My work time zone continues to be New York time. Even though I was in Thailand, at that moment during the lockdown, I was 11 hours ahead of New York time, which meant that if I was doing a live stream for my New York audience, that was me being up at 10 p.m. getting started with the live stream. And I did a lot of those live streams, right? So for me, I needed a centralized location because while you may want to get up and travel and go be where you want to be, that's great for you. But the people you're serving are not running around the world with you. So where what time they need you to operate and how you need to function, you still need to be able to show up. So while I have a lot of people who are like, I just want to do what you're doing and like, I should go out there and see you. Cool. And it's great. But are you a night owl? Because if you're not, this might don't work. You might need to figure that out or figure out how you're going to make the time that you need to be up work for you. If you're going to start doing work in their evenings, which are my mornings, cool. You need to build that into the expectations. So they're not expecting to see you at 8 a.m. when you're not going to be there or vice versa. Right. So that was one of my lessons, like really making sure that I knew what my business central location was and figuring out how to operate in that. Um, Another thing I learned, and I shouldn't have even been naive to this, was the changes in economy don't mean doom, right? For some people, there are going to be some inevitable changes. Like I was working with somebody, and, and this is a close friend of mine, who had, had been laid off in the six months before the pandemic, 
got this new job, got laid off again because their employer quickly realized there were going to be too many cancellations. She couldn't keep everybody on. It wasn't going to work out. And they were able to apply for unemployment before there was like pandemic unemployment. But after a few weeks of them, you know, figuring it out, deciding what they wanted to do, they got back in their business game and they had, you know, a hustle that they had been working on and they had been sustaining themselves time and, you know, on and off with their own business. But what they were able to do during the pandemic was bigger than anything that they had been doing before. They were bringing in more money than ever before. Now, why is that, right? How do you get laid off and then make more money? Well, you pivot. And it's not just some small pivot where you're like, I kind of do this one thing and I'm going to do this now. You figure out who needs to be served. Now, everybody's at home. Not everybody's losing their job. So companies now have to figure out how to do their same work with all of their employees at home, which means companies that have like sales departments, right? You would know about this, still have to work on how to keep their clients. If you had a budget for entertaining your clients, if you had ways that you needed to keep your clients warm and connected, you still have to figure out how to do that while your clients are at home. Your clients are home with their kids. You can only connect with them on Zoom. There's no dinners, there's no breakfast, there's no happy hours. You still gotta figure out how to do that. That means there's a whole industry available, right? Now you have to figure out how to do these connecting type events for clients, for people from home. Now, as a company with the sales department, you might not be prepared to do that, but there are vendors who actually can turn their services into virtual services. And that's one of the things that he did. He was able to take his services, which, you know, he's a chef, so he does, you know, he cooks, he makes these great meals, he does these cooking classes, and he was able to pivot that and turn that into something he did virtually for these corporate clients that he wasn't working with before. It was a huge shift in how he was able to operate his business, the way that he was able to work, the hours he was able to work, and the kinds of prices he was able to charge. Because one thing that I find people do way too much, and I find that a lot of us, you know, minorities do this, maybe more so than other people, we try to start these businesses that are really more like nonprofits, right? We want to start these businesses to help people who don't have budgets to pay what you need to be paid, right? So you might start your, you know, your food side hustle and you're only selling to people who are your friends or people who have budgets like your friends. Okay, that's cool for a little while, but that means you do yeah. a lot of work to only make a little bit of money. You don't even reach for the clients who can write you minimum four-figure checks. You're not thinking about them because you don't know how to ask for that much money because you would not pay that much money for the thing, right? You don't know how to wrap your head around having that conversation. You don't know what they need or what they want. So you don't even consider that that's an option for you, right? Um, I find that way too often. We're always trying to help these small businesses. I want to start a business that helps other small businesses. Okay, you want to help businesses that may have small budgets, because when you say small business, you don't mean American Express's version of a small business. You mean the mom and pop, the one homie, the solopreneur who doesn't want to spend any money. You're thinking about those folks. How are you going to squeeze this money out of them for your nice to have service? Right. So if you're really focused on who can afford to pay you what you actually need to be paid, if you can be honest about that. Right and how your services match their needs, you can start selling to people who are way beyond the budgets that even you would spend. And the pandemic opened up opportunities for people to do that. If they were nimble, if they moved quickly, 
then they could scoop up some much bigger paying clients than they had ever had before if they could quickly assess how they could be of service to those clients. Yeah, right. I wanted to ask you, um, from your personal opinion, why do you think that happens within our community that we're not striving for those big conglomerates and we succumb to just going after the mom and pop shops? That's who we know. And that's who we relate to as people, right? If you, you know, normally um, go to like a, a local, you know, mom and pop type restaurant, right? Like where I grew up, you had a lot of like Latin restaurants where you get, you know, rice, beans, chicken, and a big old tin for like $5, right? If that's like a normal thing that you might do, the idea of paying $25 for that same meal is absurd. Why would you do that? I'm not going to do that when I know I could go right up to Paco up the street and get blah, blah, blah for $5 or $8 if I want to like splurge and get the oxtail, right? I'm not going to go spend more money on that. But I'm a person who's going to walk up that block in that neighborhood and go get that food. There are people who are not going to do that and still want that and they want it brought to them, right? So the idea of me looking for that service going to Postmates to buy something that I know I could get around the corner for five, six dollars. It's ridiculous. But for some people, that's the only way they even know how to look for things. Right. So you're going to have a hard time selling to selling that thing that you can get for five dollars to somebody for twenty five dollars because you think they know what you know. You think they know Paco around the corner. You think they know it could be less than that. They don't know and they don't care. They want what they want. Right. So the idea of you trying to sell at that rate might be uncomfortable for you. So you stick with what you know, what you know, this is what I would pay for it. This is what everybody I know would pay for it. So this is about what I'm going to charge for it. That makes sense. Right. You're not thinking about people with different budgets because you don't know how they operate. You don't know why they spend what they spend. You don't know the value of what you're giving to them, to that person. You don't know how they value it to them. That $5 meal is worth way more than $5. The idea of getting it for $5 is so absurd to them that they think something must be wrong with it if it only costs that much. Whereas in your mind, they must be trying to rip me off if they think they're going to charge me five times as much. That disconnect keeps you from being able to actually reach those people and sell to them because it doesn't make sense to you, right? So we have that. And then we have this, some of us have this mentality of like, we may not deserve to be doing so much better off than some of these businesses run by people who look like us. So we have to lower our services to give them what they may not actually want to pay for, right? You want to work with this small business who really could use some marketing services, but they're not going to pay you $3,000 for your marketing services. So you're like, I can do it for 500. It's still in their minds and nice to have. That $500 is still $500 they weren't trying to spend. So you're trying to bring your prices down and convince somebody that they need to buy something that they don't want to buy. Where there's somebody else out there who would look at your $3,000 price point and be like, that's it? Mm, that doesn't seem right. Right? I know somebody who pitched a client and they sent the proposal in and they were like, proposal looks great, but I had to raise the numbers up because it was too low and I'm not going to get that across at that number. I'm not going to be able to sell your project to my higher ups because your price is too low for them to take seriously. This is a real story, right? Mm. And this person wasn't charging. It was still, I think, a five figure deal that they were doing 
And their contact was like, yeah, no, it won't work. I had to raise it. We just, we're not always comfortable selling beyond our own pockets. You know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting you say that because even I'm thinking about it and for, for example, like if you go to your own community and you still want to, because we, we're trying to uplift each other. We're trying to help that business because we see the potential that they have within their marketing. We know we have that expertise, but we know what we're worth. So them declining not to take on the higher price and you succumbing to the lower price it just becomes like this vicious cycle over and over and over and over and it just spans on to like hey i know i know my buddy james charges 500 bucks for people in our community then he's gonna go tell his buddy so you can never really break the mold and it's so hard to find that one person who's gonna accept your high ticket price because it's so it, they're scarce right so you're stuck in the same thing unless you go to other communities that they're okay taking that if they if this is your price i'm gonna pay that price i just don't know why it is for us we always are trying to nah i can't do that you gotta lower your prices who do you think you are charging that much for our services so it's just like what is the way out that's what i'm thinking about i know there's no definitive answer but just speaking out loud about it i just can't really see a way out to really shift that mindset where if alex comes to me for facebook marketing um, a project and he charges me $5,000, I'm not going to quarrel with him and try and negotiate with him. I'm like, okay, that's your price. Boom. I'm going to pay you. Right. It's so hard for our community to get over that negotiation phase with people who look like us because we believe like we're in the struggle. You got to give me a discount. You got to give me a deal. Um, yeah, that was just like a little thought that I had. I just had right now. There's no really definitive way. I was just like, we're kind of stuck in the mud with it. And it just takes one person keeping their foot down on the ground saying no this is it and eventually over years it's going to become like a cultural norm not to like negotiate with our own if this is their price they're going to pay that <laughs> they may negotiate but i think we need to understand what yeah. people value but you know what i mean you know what i mean so if yeah. i'm going to a local business yeah. and they're like mm -hmm. oh who do you think you are charging that okay let's take a pause there for a moment right what do you value? Obviously, you don't value my service in and of itself enough to pay what I'm asking you to pay. So that's going to be a challenge. That's but true. maybe you value the successes that you think I should have had for that price point. And you're assuming that other brands or people of other colors or backgrounds may have had that success. Now, if you saw me turn everybody else's business in the neighborhood into something that's making way more money and you're struggling, and I come to you and I say, hey, I can do this thing for you, you're more likely to work with me. Even if you wanna hesitate or negotiate, you can see what I've done. So what you value is visible results. And without that success, you may not think, for whatever your own biases are, you may not think I can bring you that level of success. You may trust that somebody who is an outsider to this space, who doesn't have to live here, who doesn't have to be in this struggle, can get you out of the struggle. How am I supposed to get you out of the struggle if I'm still in this struggle with you one way or another? If I'm not out here selling to these other folks and I gotta sell to you, I must not be doing so great. And that has to do with what you think of yourself and the position you're in and the business that you're in and the space you're in. If you don't believe that you already are some sort of success story, then me messing around with you means, mm, I, I must not be doing that. She must not be doing that well either. So she can't help me, right? 
if they've watched me be successful or if they value, you know, me saying, I worked with this person, you know, I worked with this celebrity that, you know, you see this campaign, I'm the one who did that. That might be what they value. It might not be the service. It might be the results I'm bringing to the table. It might be the name dropping that I can do. And sometimes I think we don't always see to the point that, to the extent that people want discounts from us, I don't know that we always are aware of the things that people need to hear from us. We want them to not ask for discounts, but they also want us to show more than just, I can do this, but like, what have I done? And how am I gonna do it for you? And how well do I understand you? And how, what kind of timeline can I give you? What kind of assurances can I give you? How can I prove I'm not trying to rip you off? That's huge, that's huge. So let's talk about like some steps that people can take to get that first um, big corporate client. Mm. You know, what have you seen work in your experience? Coming out of the gate, like you've been doing this for at least as long as you've been doing this, all right? Corporate clients, small clients, individual people, nobody wants to feel like they're taking a risk on you unless they got some sort of hero complex. Nobody wants to feel like you're a guinea pig, right? So if you come out the gate, like I'm just getting started, I'm new, you know, I really just want to test this out. You're not giving them reasons to trust you. And what happens is you're not giving them the opportunity to feel like they made a good purchase. And that's what people want. They want to walk away from buying something feeling like I did a smart thing. I bought the right thing. I spent my money well. If you don't give people the chance to feel that way, they're not going to want to spend their money with you. They don't want to be sitting there with doubt in the back of their head, always questioning it, always mentally holding on to the receipt so they can try to get their money back one day, right? They don't want that. They want to be proud of what they bought. They want to tell people about, I just bought this great thing. I ain't even use it yet, but I know it's going to be lit. They want to be excited like that, right? So you got to give people the opportunity to feel that way, right? Give them the chance to be that excited. So when you're pitching, you're putting together your proposal, you're having these preliminary conversations, forget how many years of experience you do or don't have. Focus everything on what they want. Not necessarily just what the client needs because people don't buy what they need, they buy what they want, right? You might need to go to the gym, but you just want to be 10 pounds lighter. So if I could buy a pill to make me 10 pounds lighter, I ain't gonna go to the gym, right? So people buy what they want. And when you understand what they want, especially if you understand why they want it and how their lives or their work life or whatever is impacted because they don't have it, you're able to have better conversations that eliminate the need for you to really talk about years of experience or who you've worked with or what you've done. You can actually start connecting with them and show that you truly understand their problem and that their problem is your problem. You're going to solve the problem for them because it bothers you just as much, if not more than it bothers them. Is all that making sense? Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I guess is that your, your framework of establishing like a c concrete brand? That's a part of it. That's definitely a part of it. Um, I think there are two ways to go about building a brand. And I think of them as like these, these bridge methods, right? You can build a brand starting from who you are and try to reach who they are, whoever your audience is. Or you can start by standing where they are and trying to lead that back to who you are. I think those are the two key ways to go about building your brand. So if you have a very clear idea of who you want to help, who you want to serve and why, you might want to start from them and then try to peel your way back to how am I that solution versus if there's something you want to bring to the world, 
then you might want to start with, okay, this is who I am and this is what I do. How can I lead that to a solution for somebody? Who are the people who can benefit from that, right? I want to be a motivational speaker. Now, who do I want to motivate, right? How do I want to go about motivating them? Do I want to do speeches in front of a podium? Do I want to do talks on a podcast? Do I want to do Instagram lives? Like, how do I want to go about reaching people? Okay, I want to do Instagram lives. Who's on Instagram? Who's going to listen there? How is that going to lead to something? Does that, do I have other goals? Do I want to do a book tour after this? Do I want to have my own like speaking special on Netflix or something? Like, where am I trying to go? And from there, you can go about getting to who that audience member is going to be, who that person is who's going to want what you're doing the way that you're doing it. You've got two ways to go about building this brand. I think that figuring out who you want to help is usually easier and smarter, but some people aren't quite sure yet and they just know they want to get themselves out there and doing the bridge from where they are can be a really good start to just having something under your belt. As, as you're talking, I, um, I started thinking about, you've heard of Simon Sinek? Yes. Start with yes, why. Yes, yeah. Remember that golden, start with mm-hmm. why, right? Like that's what came to my mind is like when you begin your brand and you compare it like with the Apple brand, like all great brands begin with a why, right? So Apple's like, why are we doing this? What like what is that we believe that we can champion behind that's gonna get other people who believe in our cause? And that actually becomes your brand because when you start with a why, it's like we believe in innovation. We believe in in creating products that make you feel good and like they create a very zen atmosphere when you use it. Like when you talk about these feelings and belief and you put that on products it actually creates the product itself and then he compared it with dell computers right they began with the what instead of a why like what is dell we make hardware computers for businesses and we're going to keep it standard this is a a, a machine you're going to use for your business or a personal computer and that's it it's going to get your job done totally different separate ways of looking at it and you can look at even though dell is a strong brand apple's brand you don't see people lining up outside of a Dell store to pick up a laptop, right? You don't see them lining up to pick up any new PC monitor they just dropped. But you see that for Apple. You see that for their iPhones, their Apple Watches, iPads, like everything you can think about. Apple fanboys and girls are going to line up at the store, wait up all night just to pick up that latest gadget. And that is because of a strong brand. Yeah. And a clear, really clear mission. That's a fact. The belief in innovation. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. So now, let's talk about your business. How were you able to build your business up? What's the revenue model? Let's get into the details. Okay. So I'll start with talking about House of Brand Therapy, because I think that's a really interesting case study even for me to look at. House of Brand Therapy has been around for a couple of years, like existing as a brand that I can point people to. But it was not, it was pretty dormant for a while, right? Um, I was focusing, you know, more on my personal brand. I was focusing on my other business, Side Hustle Business School, which is all about teaching people how to take their, you know, side hustle and turn that into something that actually can be a business. So making their first dollars as a creative, whether they want to be a content creator or a product seller or a freelancer, it's more of an online school for that. So I had my other focuses. But then what happened was, like I said, during the pandemic, Rona told me, sit down, you're going to have some work to do. Um, House of Brand Therapy kind of came back up, right? And that was its full, like, first full foray into being a a steady income maker, right? There were things I could do through that brand, but this was where, like, 
money was starting to come in on a regular basis. So with House of Brand Therapy, our primary services are information products. So we have an accelerator, we had some boot camps, we have one-on-one services. So we've got the kind of subscription model option that we toyed around with and we did away with that pretty early. Um, right now we focus on doing courses, primarily our accelerator, which we're running right now with a scholarship that I'll get into later. Um, and then from there you can work with us one-on-one primarily with me if you're doing some sort of um, career branding or if you're growing your brand from like a freelance brand to a full-blown business owner where you hire other people kind of brand. But anybody who's going to do that one-on-one stuff or do any kind of agency services with us, those people would have had to go through our programs first because there's just a lot of things that we set foundations for. You need to know the lingo. You need to understand how we're thinking about business models before we're going to help you one-on-one because we're not going to get with you one-on-one to do stuff that you could have learned in the course, right? So all of the people who would be doing that one-on-one stuff have to go through any of our materials that are related to the thing they want to do a one-on-one with us. Uh, You work predominantly only with black women uh, for House of Brand Mm -hmm. Therapy. Talk more about that. How did you zone in on uh, this particular group of people to work with? Okay, so... My work as a brand therapist is insanely personal, right? I'm going to ask you questions about who you are, why you're here, why you're doing this, why you're not doing something else. And I'm going to want to know about your history. I'm going to want to know about things that you did before you know you started this business or you decided you wanted to change fields or whatever it is you're doing. I want to know about the things you did that you didn't get paid to do. I want to know about the kind of person you are. I want to know about your personality and how that plays into how you make money and how that plays into how you approach any part of your vocation, right? So you may have always been a very organized person. Cool, let's talk about that. And let's see if we can find links to how that has played into your work or how that saved you. Or maybe we find that every job you've had, you've always participated in one of the employee resource groups in in a very high level, right? And you consistently play the same role, but you don't take yourself seriously as a leader, even though you consistently lead at your job at every job that you've had, you're afraid to put yourself forward for a management position, even though you've been managing and taking care of things, but you weren't paid to do that, right? So I have to do a lot of work that helps to defeat imposter syndrome. And I find one, black women have imposter syndrome bad, and it's not our fault, right? We've got like serious problems with imposter syndrome. And in order for me to get to the root of that, I have to really be a cheerleader. I really have to care about what you're doing. I really have to know that you are going to do the work and you are not just looking for an easy way out or looking for somebody to cheer you on when you haven't put in the work. I have had clients from other backgrounds and potential clients from other backgrounds who I could quickly tell were just looking for a shortcut. I cannot pour myself into you if you are not about to do the work. I am not going to waste myself on you, right? When I find that I'm working with black women who come to me more often than not, I can't even think of an instance where this hasn't been the case. They are coming to me believing that they can be what they hope to be one day, believing that they can fit the shoes that they walk in, not realizing that the shoes they're walking in are too small for them. So they, I I worked with a woman specifically who came to me because she wanted 
she was helping people in elections, so she wasn't a politician herself, but in her spare time, in addition to having all the jobs that she had, in her spare time, she was helping with local politics. And even in one election cycle, she got like eight out of her nine um, candidates elected, which is no small feat, right? Okay, but still has a whole full-time job to go to. She said she didn't really feel like she should be in politics. She should just help in the background. So she wanted to start a blog where she would help young people get involved. Okay, so I thought that's what we were going to be working on. No. Then she told me, well, actually, I'm looking to change jobs. I'm at a director level right now, and I'd like to be VP level. But I haven't been able to make that work for myself. Okay. I gave her one assignment to do, right? And this assignment requires you to go through your whole work history Tell me the things that you've been doing. Tell me the things that you got paid to do and didn't get paid to do. Give me, give me the story of who you are and give me some of your career wins. When I tell you this woman was well beyond VP level and was C-level material and didn't see it, I knew what my work was to do with her, right? There was nothing but imposter syndrome. And this woman had been in her career for about as long as I had been alive. Kid you not. I was looking through that resume and I was like, wow. boy, that looked like my birth certificate when you had that job. Right. So, I mean, she was <laughs> well experienced. She had plenty of experience. She had huge brand names on her resume. She had been doing this work for years. So I had to figure out why do you think that VP level is what you're supposed to be doing? Well, it's the next step. Okay. Granted. Sure. That's the, that's a promotion in this field. But you're also telling me that you want to switch to a slightly different field and the next step up from where you are would actually be C-level. So what's the challenge? We spent weeks getting to the bottom of this. And what you find in these situations is that time after time, we are told to wait our turn. We are told we are great and we couldn't do this without you. But right now we just can't fill in the blank, right? And we're expected to still show up not keep asking for raises, and to an extent, feel lucky to even be in the room. Even though we're told that they need us, we're told that something survived because of us, right? We're told these things, but they are not always showing that to us with the money. They're not always showing that to us with the respect. And I know too many people who have been in situations where they were training somebody who worked underneath them to become their manager. How am I training my sub to become my manager? What happened to me being the manager? Why, why is that happening? Why am I teaching my boss how to do their job? What was it about me that made me not eligible for this, right? When you have a lot of that going on, when that continuously happens to you, you're gonna start believing it. You're gonna start believing, well, maybe there's something missing. Maybe there's something I'm not doing. Maybe I need to go back to school. Maybe I'm not cut out for this. Maybe they're right. Because that many people are ending up in that kind of position every time you get a job, every time you work at a new company, is going to get to you and start making you think they must all be telling me some kind of truth. There must be something to this. And I know way too many black women yeah. and have worked with way too many black women who have been in those situations. So when they come to me and they want to switch fields or they want to start their own business, they don't always believe that they should be reaching as high as they'd like to reach. They are staying way too humble. They're writing resumes that show that they're willing to do jobs that are beneath the job that they're applying for. And then wonder why they get offered jobs that look exactly like the job that they already have. Because you're talking about, you're writing this resume basically 
begging for a shot to do work instead of telling people how you're going to make their lives better by giving you what you want. You made it about you proving to them that you deserve to be there instead of you showing them why they need you to get the thing done that they want done. You haven't made yourself your, their solution. You've made yourself their liability. Damn. That's a fact. That's a bar. I was I was I, I was I was on mute, but I was gonna say like they make you feel as if it's like a privilege mm-hmm. to be working there as just working there as it is. Like we don't care how smart you are, you being in the room is a blessing for you. So like just sit there and just do you. Um which is just it's heartbreaking to yeah. be honest with you. And we had a guest on, I don't know if you'd know, if you've heard of her, her name is Vivian K. And she speaks about having a Chad mentality, which is very interesting. So <laughs> she always says, whatever I want to do something, she asks herself, what would Chad do? And you know, a, a Chad, right? Typical white male uh, coming in, believes, doesn't have the qualifications, but he believes he's going to get that job. Like the way a Chad talks, it's just like, cut out the fluff for us, cut out the pleasantries. This is what I want. Either put up or shut up, right? And that's what she's trying to advocate for more black women to do. Have a Chad mentality. When you see that that, that uh, job posting, apply to it. Don't believe like you don't qualify for it. Why did you get your master's? Why did you get your MBA? And you're going to cut yourself short. So she's built an amazing brand out of like, what would Chad do? And it's hilarious. I mean, Check it Absolutely. out. Check out her page. She speaks about it like a lot. But that's what it is. It's like having that audacity to believe that you can do it and go and claim it and go and take it and ask for it and don't sell yourself short. I think we do that way too much. I think it's it's literally that it's the selling, right? We're selling ourselves and we are selling ourselves way too short. And I find that black women are incredibly hardworking, very much experienced and often way too passed over. And to internalize these ideas that we're not ready for whatever that next step is, is keeping us all back, right? There are businesses who are missing out on opportunities. There are families who are missing out on income. And if there's something we can do, if we can kill imposter syndrome, if we can get that out of the way so that we are moving forward and applying for more opportunities and putting ourselves forward, then I think we all win if that happens. Right. So imposter syndrome is my personal nemesis, not just for me, but in other people. Like I am trying to ruin imposter syndrome's life in other people. Yeah. It's crazy, like how even black women are the fastest like group in like terms of education. Right. If you look at the numbers, like they're the ones getting all the degrees. They're the ones in postgraduate programs. But yet still with all these qualifications and all this talent, there's like a mental hiccup that just stops them from going for them. Like, then why did you go to school? And, you know, so from your perspective, for younger girls coming into like the workforce, like girls in high school, girls in university, um, how would for the audience members who are listening and they're in that position right now, um, if they're not working with you, but you were to talk to them, how would you help them or what would you say right now that can say you know what to limit your imposter syndrome these are like one two three action steps you can take today to 
remove those limiting beliefs and take that step forward into that career you want. Okay. One, one piece of advice I got was, I don't even think she was trying to give me advice, but as nobody knows everything in a vacuum, right? You don't, nobody knows all of the answers to all of the things. They may be more expert than you or more experienced than you, but they don't know every and all things, right? So when you're feeling like you have to know everything or you're being hard on yourself for saying, well, I don't know enough, think about what you do know and think back to a time when you didn't know that and how far you got not knowing what you know now, right? Remember that because there is somebody who cannot do what you can do and does not know what you know. So start with that little bit of confidence in that you came a long way, you learned something, you know how to do something, you have a skill, you have abilities, and you know enough to learn the parts you don't know, right? Like I have a background as a, as a web developer and there is a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know. And there are a lot of things I do know, but I forget, but I know enough to know how to Google to get the answer. I don't know why my page is broke, but I can Google and figure it out because I know just enough to navigate learning more, right? So that's super important. Next, know what you want and don't be afraid to tell people what you want. Because if you don't tell people, you won't get it. Closed mouths do not get fed. So when you show up, be confident about whether or not you think you're going to get it. That's the next level of confidence. Be confident that you know what you want. Be confident in that so that when you enter into a conversation where somebody asks you what you want or has the opportunity to give you what you want, you're not confused you're not flustered, you're not hesitating, you already know what you want. So when it's presented to you, you can take it, right? If you're not sure, if you think, well, I'll see how it goes and whatever opportunities come my way, I'll just take them or if something sounds good, that's how you end up being led down paths that other people are in control over, right? That's how you end up in jobs where there's no room for advancement because you took something that sounded good that wasn't necessarily what you wanted but you thought you had to take whatever came your way because somebody gave you some limiting beliefs that made you think mm, it might not work for you. So just, just take something. So dead that. Um, and remember that any room that you're in is lucky to have you. No matter what anybody says to you, no matter how anybody attempts to make you feel, you have a place in every room at every table that you want to be at. You may need to evaluate whether you actually want to be at the tables you're trying to sit at, but you have a place at them if you want them. And there will be people who try to push you out the table, kick you out the room, make you feel uncomfortable for being there, make you leave instead of trying to force you to leave, right? Make it so uncomfortable that you don't want to be there. Remember that they are lucky to have you and it is on your terms whether you stay or go and what you do while you're in that room, right? I'll, I'll tell you a story. This was actually going to be... Uh, part of my embarrassing story from earlier. Um, I was in a meeting with my team. There you go, a real one. <laughs> a real one. You know, you've gotten yeah. comfortable now. Time to let it out. Unleash well, it. See, this story could have gotten embarrassing for me, right? I was in this meeting yeah. with my team and I was, you know, working as a front end developer. My team was mainly guys. There was one other woman who worked on my team and she was on maternity leave for a long portion of while I was there. So for a good portion of my time, I was the only woman on my team. And obviously also only black women on my team and the only American on my team. So all of that. And we were having this meeting about this project that this we were squandering. I mean, we were spending way too much of the budget. We were not about to profit on this thing. It, it was a mess. And it was a mess because they didn't listen to me in the beginning. Because part of my job was to do UX 
so I was planning for them. I gave them a plan. They didn't want to do it. Okay. We gave it to a department who burned the budget. And one of the people from the department who was really burning the budget was a part of this meeting. He was not on my team. He was part of this meeting. Now, this is your average, I won't say entitled, I don't know him that well, but your average successful white male. My team was not always thrilled by his presence, right? But we're in the UK, so it's a more passive culture than the direct culture that you might see in the US. And now remember, we're in corporate. So corporate means, you know, corporate is Latin for passive, right? So then like you put corporate passive on top of Britain passive. It was just nothing was direct, right? And I don't work that way. So I was very much a fish out of water and I didn't care that I was slapping around. So we're in this meeting and one thing that this guy used to do all the time was talk in your space. If you're having a conversation with him, we were sitting next to each other, he started to lean into my personal space to talk to me about something. And in reaction, I just moved out of the way and I froze. Like the whole scene just froze to me for a moment. I was like, yo, I really just let him talk me out my box. I'm still sitting in the chair. I haven't moved the seat. I've moved my whole body out of my chair to get rid, like get away from this dude who's saying nothing I don't, was of no importance, but is trying to intimidate me. Why? This isn't his room. This isn't his meeting. This isn't even his team. Nobody is coming to my defense to end any of this like aggression that's coming my way. I clearly have to be the person who's going to like stand up for myself. I have no idea what we were talking about. I don't remember what it was. But as I sat there and leaned back and I let him finish, I was just like, you gonna get out of my personal space now so we could finish this conversation or do you still want to sit here? Because I could hear you from where you were. There was no reason for you to enter my box like this. You want to sit back? And just waited. Middle of the meeting in the conference room, a bunch of other guys sat there and they were like, nice, nice. No, why is it nice? Like, why does it have to be that way? Right? Whatever it was that he was saying, he was trying to get his way. It wasn't going to work because I stood, like, I was very happy to stand my ground, right? My, like, as a UXer, my job was to advocate for the end user. So I don't care what creative designs you wanted to do. I don't care what kind of Easter eggs and fun stuff you want to hide in the website. If this is going to interfere with the experience, then it has to go. I don't care. My boss can veto me. I don't care. But it's going on record. Denia said, no, we're not about to do that. So I don't care if you spent all night doing this stuff in Photoshop. We're not doing it. Um, but he wasn't trying to hear that. He kept thinking that because he was more senior than me, he could intimidate me into seeing things his way. He didn't understand. I couldn't care less about seeing things his way. I didn't understand why he thought his way was so important. And I was really frustrated that he was so interested in what he wanted to do and let his design be so ego-led that he forgot the mission of the project. He was designing for designers and we were building a website to try to hire developers. All of these things that you're doing are going to require code that a developer would look at and be like, this is so heavy, why would you do this? But you were not aware and you were not paying attention to who we were trying to serve. So you were trying to serve yourself. I don't remember the point of why I was telling you that story. I don't even know how I got there. (laughs) (laughs) You need to let that one out. Oh, man. That, that wasn't embarrassing, though. It wasn't embarrassing. That was, a, that was you just like, oh. It was good. What, what made it embarrassing to I you? I was really upset with yeah. myself for letting him talk me out of my physical position. Like, when that happened, I mm. did get upset. And I was like, this is how this works. Like, he really just 
it wasn't a conscious decision to to lean out of my seat, right? So I'm sitting in the seat and I've leaned so far that like I left my body, right? Like I, I really leaned over into some space. If I wasn't paying enough attention, if I were clumsy, I would have actually fallen out of my chair with how far that I moved. And I was embarrassed that without even being aware, I let this dude win right quick. Like he just really talked me out of my box and I was mad at myself for letting that happen. And he was so good about it. He had done this before to other people and he did it so fast that I was like in front of my team in this meeting, you just sunned me. Like you really just, just you sunned me like out of my own personal space. Nah, like you just used your body language to sun me. I don't even care about what you're saying. I don't agree with what you're saying. But now whatever you're saying holds weight. It looks like you made a point because physically I have literally tried to get out of my skin to get away from you. You just dominated the space in my seat and I was pissed. I was so pissed about that. And if I hadn't done something about it, that's the kind of thing where like three months later, you're like, I knew I should have said that. You got comebacks all late. Like that's the kind of thing that it would have like irked me on that level. So in that moment, I froze and I thought about it and I like snapped back at him. But it, it was almost an embarrassing story. It stopped. It kept from being an embarrassing story when I had to clap back real quick. That guy and I had a lot of tension throughout the rest of that project that I had to tell him off in front of somebody one day in a meeting. And I thought I was going to get in trouble. It was my manager's manager. He started laughing and cheering me on and said, I'm so sorry I have to leave this meeting. I would love to hear the rest of this, but I got to go. How are you going to say that in front of him when I'm just going off on the dude? Like, I, and why y'all keep leaving me to go off on him? Where are the men? Mm-hmm. But all right. Where's the HR? Oh, they didn't care about him. HR? Seniority. They didn't care. Damn. In, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I hate when people... Yeah, if people make you feel uncomfortable like that, it's kind of like when you're in the subway and all the seats are open, but the dude bro just comes and sits right beside you. And you're like, rah, bro. <laughs> There's plenty of space. <laughs> plenty of space. Plenty of space. Oh, I hate uh, people like that. See, oh but when God. they do that to you, in the streetcar, it's different. Because if he does that to me, he trying to holler. Even if he's not trying to holler, he's just going to try to holler. Oh. It's a whole. Mm-hmm. By nature, by nature, he's going to try and spit game, you know? It's uh, tough being man, a woman. I, I, I feel you. I feel you, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm so sorry. I have empathy for you. I know. I the that. things you guys go through. Yeah. Having three sisters and hearing even more stories, I, yeah. I, I feel sometimes horrible being a man. Like, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah. Anyways, though. All right. So, let's pivot the conversation. As we get on the topic of black women, you know, let's talk about this scholarship. Yes. Okay. Where should we start? Talk to us, Naya. All Let's right. go. Okay, so with Women's History Month, and whenever we're talking about like women's rights, women's women's anything, as as a general, you know, ball of confusion or liberation, um, we're often talking about the white woman's experience, right? When we talk about like the pay gap, people don't quote the pay gap for every group of women. They quote white women's pay gap between a white woman and a white man. Black woman doesn't make as much as a white woman, right? Just on average, that's not the case. So when people are saying we got to fight for these rights, what is it, 77 cents? We have to fight to get that way. If we get our other, you know what I'm saying, 30 cents, um, that's not going to get us to the dollar that the white guy is making. That's not going to get us all the way there because for black women, that's not the same. So 
I wanted to make sure that at least this year for Women's History Month that I was doing something for black women to remind us that, yes, we are a part of Women's History Month. This is not everything that you're going to hear applies to us, but this applies to you, right? I feel like too often we get our history whitewashed, right? When we talk about when women were allowed to vote, that wasn't all women. We weren't all allowed to vote, right? So these landmarks, these historical moments don't all apply to us. So this year for Women's History Month, this scholarship that I'm offering is for our accelerator, which is called From Nine to Five to Consultant. It's for Black women who want to move from something that they've been doing in their nine to five and start a consulting business. So if you've been at your job, like, I could do this by myself. Like, I know this and I'm tired of these people and I could make more money if I weren't working for them. If you've been thinking that, if you got the skills, then this accelerator is probably for you. For Women's History Month, we're giving away up to 100 scholarships into this accelerator, which normally runs about $2,000, okay? You'll get full access to the accelerator. You'll get access to the group calls. You'll have a little community. And this program runs from about six to eight weeks. So by the time you hit that eight weeks, you should have picked up your first client already. And the whole point of the program is to teach you how to create a consulting business that matches your personality, that matches your the way that you work, and gets you a minimum of $2,000 a month per client, okay? So we aim to get you to about four clients that we find that to be a pretty comfortable level for you, um, especially if you are considering leaving your job. You can get to that four client mark and still keep your job because we teach you how to bring people on so you don't have to do all of the work by yourself. You shouldn't be doing all of the work by yourself. You should be hiring within your first six months, right? So we're doing up to 100 scholarships for this accelerator. The applications are open now and they close on March 31st. So if you're looking for that, you can check out houseofbrandtherapy.com and just hit the link to scholarships. Awesome, awesome. We'll link to that below in the podcast details. Yes. So y'all yeah, make sure you check that out. Awesome, man. So is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to cover before we get out of here? I mean, I think we talked about a lot. Y'all had me spilling the tea running my mouth you know a little excessive you were pretty chatty today <laughs> i found it hilarious that you were drinking tea as like right after you spilled the tea. <laughs> yep. you know what i'm saying she was like you know you gotta have that. a little evening tea oh, you know i love that you know it's england i feel you <laughs> i feel you all right well ladies and gentlemen with that being said that concludes the podcast make sure you check us out at, in, on, eh, on instagram at 24 7 hustler and make sure you check out the scholarship link below. And we'll be on Clubhouse as well, so make sure you tap in with us. And you know how, how I end the podcast. The grind is what you can't control. So control your grind and control your life. I'm Alex. I'm Owen. I'm Naya. And that's Hustle Over Everything. Peace, y'all. Peace Later. out, guys. Boom. Thank you so much for listening. The conversation continues on our Instagram at 247Hustler. We post very frequently. And be sure to check out our merch at hustleovereverything.co. We have some amazing sweaters, hats, mugs, and a lot more. Lastly, our Proud to Pay program is linked in the description below. Thank you so much for your support. Talk to you next Monday.
Peace.